0: Hi, this is Steve. You know, there's all sorts of movies that inspire us, frighten us, make us cry, make us think, or make us laugh. But the film we're talking about this week inspires a very special kind of devotion. Memorization. I mean, how many movies can you think of where you know people that can quote not just a few lines, but whole scenes? Maybe even the whole film. I can only think of a few. I've heard people quote endlessly from Spinal Tap or Lebowski, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, or The Princess Bride. Maybe you can come up with some others. But for me, the number one most quotable movie, the film that inspired a generation of comedy and absolutely holds up today, is 1975's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Directed by Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones, this low-budget, independent film is consistently listed as one of the greatest comedies of all time. And it shows Monty Python at their very best. It's available for rent on iTunes and YouTube, and there is a very good Blu-ray. So, send us your favorite Python quotes via Twitter or on Facebook and get ready for Monty Python and the Holy Grail this Friday on The Cinephiles. Hi, everyone. Just to let you know, we had some audio issues in recording this week's episode. Fortunately, John and our very special guest, Michael Ross, sound perfect. It's only my mic that was having problems. We've done our best to minimize the issues and we've bought some new cables, which will hopefully ensure that we sound beautiful in the future. And now, without further ado, the Cinephiles brings you... Between our quest, we seem to
1: invest in a person, make our gable. It's a mystery life in Camelot. I have to push the Pramalot. No so on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. Right. right.
0: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a classic film and explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
2: Hi, my name is John Roca.
0: I'm a voiceover actor, actor, and host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles as well. And today we're lucky enough to have... Uh, a very special guest, Michael Ross, is a executive who came up through the ranks at NBC, Sony, and Hasbro. He's worked on great animation, incredible comedy, and uh, he's now left those companies and is starting to do his own thing. Michael, wait, welcome to the Cinephiles. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
3: I am. Thank you for coming. I have been. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this since the day you said you were going to invite me on. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, it's been in my calendar. <laughs> I watched this movie five times wow. through, wow. and I've also brought a gift. What? Wow. If if I might, if well, I may. I know uh, it's radio. I've, sure. It's
2: excellent. Sure. Maybe we should tell people what the film is before you give the gift.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Steve, what are, we, um, what are we covering well, today? Well, it's funny. So I talked to <laughs> – we knew we wanted to have Mike on the show, and I asked him, so, you know, what kind of movie do you want to do? And he said, one movie and then another – and then he stopped, and an expression changed on his face, and he said – can I do Monty Python, Holy Grail? And I said, sure. And the excitement that (laughs) happened on his face was so big... And, of course, it's an unbelievably great comedy. And yeah. so, naturally, this is one we want to do. And so, what what are these gifts? So the gifts. Okay. Are,
3: well, there's one for each of you, but we're going to have to... Wow. You, you, you're going oh to have to actually share it first thing. For those
2: people listening to the podcast, he's given us these little bags with, like, paper inside, paper stuffing inside.
1: Beautifully wrapped.
2: Yeah, beautifully wrapped. Um, we're opening with...
1: What? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so... So this is, this is wow. Monty
3: Python's Holy Grail Ale, wow. which I had seen at like Trader Joe's and a bunch yeah. of years ago. So I just thought like, oh, I'll go to the store, be able to find it. Could not find it anywhere. So wow. the only place it was available was like, Glendale, somewhere, and it came with this, with this, with the Holy that. Grail. We,
0: so, so for those of you, maybe we'll have to post this on Twitter or something. Yeah, some photos of this. But for those of you who can't see it, we have a beautiful ceramic Holy Grail and two <laughs> bottles of Holy Gr- Ale. Holy,
3: Holy Ale. Holy, holy Ale. Yes.
0: Um, it's it's funny. So, so much of the origins of this podcast are John and I in a bar. Drinking heavily and discussing whatever movie we just saw. Yes. And we said, I think a few episodes ago, that we've been entirely sober throughout this podcast and Not at some today. point we have been yeah so it seems like uh we're going to take it in a different direction well
3: if i <laughs> may may i set this down very quietly for a moment of course oh, yes. you know
0: what you should do is we should we're going to cut for a moment okay. and when we come back we're going to have our beverages poured a word from our sponsor yeah, that's great <laughs> <word from laughs> <our> sponsor. <laughs> sponsored by money python holy, <laughs> Ale. Monty
1: holy fine Ale. Stores in Glendale <laughs> bring out your dad <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. I hope this tastes good. I love this. A, it's a, a deep ruby chestnut brown ale
2: topped by a near-white creamy head. Rewards with a com- complex palate from M- masted. Is that masted? Mm-hmm. Masted. Um, <laughs> I'm old. I'm tasting all those things right now. Yeah, Morris <laughs> Otter and Pale Chocolate <laughs> Malts and a Dry Goldlings Hop. Finish.
0: Cheers. <laughs> you miss you missed the most important description. It's a dark Yorkshire ale that has been tempered over burning witches. <laughs> oh I nice. Did. I didn't even read that. I did Fantastic. miss that
2: how yeah. beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> right. My word. Well, thank you, Mike, for this
3: amazing please, gift. Please, it's it's been, this great. has been great. Thank and you so much way, for having
0: me. Our, our, our first guest to bring a gift.
3: Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. That doesn't surprise me. Vicki Kelleher and that.
0: Michael Vogel.
2: Nothing. Not cool. And yeah. Vicki, really, who has come on more than once. Yeah. No very problem. sad that she's brought a She came no on gifts. more than once?
0: Yeah. 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 She. Uh, we, we just released uh, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. So she did Ghostbusters oh, oh, yeah, When nice. Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Excellent. So.
2: I'm going to keep jigging this. Let's talk. Yeah,
0: please. So, uh. Michael, how did you first come to this film?
3: So I, I believe the way it happened was probably about fourth or fifth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the more of the weird kids that I was friends with, because I was friends with both like athletic kids and then the theater kids. I was kind of like right in between, didn't have a, yeah. a, a didn't have a space, but it was my own little space. Yeah. And I remember like out of the playground when we were hanging out, they would start just doing these funny British accents with these funny little quotes. So you'd hear again, like, bring out your dad. And I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So here I am quoting a movie and Flying Circus, not even knowing what it was until one day, like sixth, seventh grade, we had, you know, sleepover, whatever it is, we watched the movie, and my mind was blown seven ways to Sunday. (laughs) And probably not even understanding half the stuff that was happening I, in the movie. I don't
0: think you can. I no. mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, just no, that, that watched age. it again. No. I was still like, man, there's so much in here yeah. Yeah. that you need to have, you know, a graduate degree to understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, how about you? Uh, for me,
2: pretty much similar in a way that at the time, uh, age, it was, I think it was either middle school or the first couple of years of high school. And I, discovered this in a way... I had a friend uh, back in Dale City, Virginia. His name is Jason Griffith. I think Jason Griffin was his name, or Griffith. and I would go over to his house, and I used to watch the wrestling pay-per-views, but he was a huge like fan of these British, so he he would get his mom to like get it from overseas or whatever. So he had memorized the whole film. So he brought me over, and this is back when I had like just only nerdy friends like you. I, did, I didn't have friends who were athletic till much later. Me, it was all just the nerd guys, Model UN guys. So we sat, and he... Was one of these guys that knew the film backwards and forwards. So when I watched the film for the first time, I had to watch him doing all the lines while the lines were going on. And I'm sure all of us who have friends who love movies have that one friend who does all the lines of a particular. This movie. isn't Rocky Horror Picture Show. Thank you very yeah, much. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I had to endure that just to watch the movie the first time. It wasn't, and, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it until I was able to watch it on my own for the first time. I think on television somewhere, uh, probably on PBS, if I'm not wrong, uh, and because they used to show all the Monty Python. On stuff there back in the old days and i watch and i just fell in love with this movie i still consider it the best of their films uh it's a bunch of vignettes with a barely a through line through it but still it's just for me it's just their excellence they're the best sketches you could possibly find uh and uh, it's just so much fun and being a historical buff and an anglophile it just hit all the right buttons for me uh,
0: all across the board and a big
2: fan of arthur king arthur so it hit all the buttons yeah. for me
0: Um, this is something that's come up before and we're going to keep focusing on, which is that it's interesting how the world has changed because today, if you hear about a thing, you can Mm -hmm. go see the thing and, and, and back then the, the thing had to come to you. It had to find Mm -hmm. you. You had to be there at the right time, particularly in the late seventies before we even had VCRs. So I, for me, I was a bit of a latchkey kid and switching around channels I come to PBS and that's where I first see yes see uh, a Monty Python sketch yeah. and and as a you know maybe i was 9 or 10 years old and it was i think it was like the Mr Neutron episode or something like that and i remember just not understanding what i was seeing <laughs> and then didn't see it again for 3 or 4 months cuz i didn't know when it was on or it was some weird time yeah. and then i come to it again and i see some start seeing these sketches and then the next thing that happens was friends of mine had the some of their albums so oh, I yeah. started to hear Monty Python albums. So so I'd seen a few episodes and then heard Monty Python albums. And then the first movie I saw was my mom took me to see Meaning of Life. Mm. Which is one it's of... Way far it's way yeah, It's a good film. Which, you know, watching uh, naked people and things like that. And Every Sperm is Sacred sitting yeah. next to your yeah. mom when you're 11 or 12. is weird. Right. But it was uh, amazing. And, and, and then it was the same thing. I started to have friends... Who could quote the movie? Yeah, and then, and and this is something I wanted to talk about. So I had heard scenes from the movie from my friends mm-hmm. before I saw the movie, right. and then when I because then we started to all have VCRs, and then you could rent the movie, and then I did see it, and I obviously thought it was one of the funniest things ever made. And but the thing, one of the first things I want to talk about is this might be the most quotable movie I know. I agree, I, and particularly because it, it 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 brings in geek culture, nerd culture that like. Wants to memorize things because it wasn't just that people throw out a quote like, Here's a look at you, kid, or you know, you know, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? Which are great quotes for a movie. Yeah. It's that people wanted to recite whole scenes, entire scenes, whole yeah. scenes, yeah. Uh, and that that was a great fun thing to do. What What is it about this movie that brings that out? I I think it's the
3: silliness of it, yeah. I really do. I think because it is so silly and the fact that they also I mean the whole the whole swallow scene and the, the mm. you know with the coconuts the fact that when you watch it over and over again how it carries through the movie in small ways all okay. the way through and then you remember it so I, I, I feel like um it, it's the silliness of it number right. one but also two this like cyclical um, Cyclical knowledge, I guess is sure. like there it, it's not real uh, They're not real points that they're making right. I, I don't
2: know. There's something goofy in that. Yeah, I think for me It's that this whole idea that the reason we love it as kids is because it's silly. We are not necessarily at the emotional or, uh, Intelligent capacity to understand the levels to which they're making fun of the human condition of society of uh, how we treat women, of everything, like everything, almost everything is covered in this film. And as you get older, you start to appreciate, like wine. It really does appreciate. You get more and more out of it. Even watching it, just as I watched it in preparation for this recording, like I wouldn't watch it again. And it was like, oh wait, oh oh. And it's just what's so great about it. When we're kids, the silliness, and that's what's brilliant about their humor. Their silliness apply; it can appeal to you at any age. But what they're saying you can appreciate even more as you get older. Right. So it never loses its its uh, place in your life. It only enriches its place in your life. And I think that's what's so fascinating about all their comedy. Absolutely.
3: And, yeah, no and I also feel, too, like when it gets to a place where it's almost going to be a point yes. that they make, yeah, and now for something completely different. Exactly. right? And you go,
0: exactly. oh, I, okay, I don't have to learn anything. Yeah,
2: because they, they don't have to belabor the point. They don't right. need to. You'll get it if you want to get it. And that's what's brilliant.
0: There's something, and I'm just thinking about it now and trying to articulate it. But there's some connection, I think, between nerd culture and Python. Yes. That, and, and here's what I'm going to relate it to. I grew up loving comic books and loving science fiction. Mm-hmm. And that comic books led you know, my nerd sensibilities to want to have a sense of completion, to know the whole thing, to have read all the comic books, to know all the little details. And, and, and the comic books I grew up with in the 70s were you know, really pretty dumb. But they Simp. are, yeah. simple, yeah. But they also connected to things that were the people that read comic books were largely pretty smart. Yes, um, and that they they connected to these ideas of science and imagination, and and so even though the story itself was kind of dumb, there was a lot of smart things going into it, and the the desire of smart nerdy people to be complete and to know all the details really comes out, and you see that in comic book culture. Yeah. The thing about Python that's interesting is it's not just that they're silly, it's the mix, it's the silliness backed up by unbelievable intelligence and knowledge, incredible learning. And so, and I think that taps into this nerd culture in the same way, because like you know, the Three Stooges are silly. Yeah. But nobody, we didn't memorize the Three Stooges. Yeah, right? make it, they were making social commentary. Well, and and that like and that, Chaplin did. Right. Yeah. And the nature of is that yes, you can have the fish slapping dance, which is one of the great <laughs> like, silly I things love of that. all time. Yes. Um, but it's also, but it's also you know that these people that are doing it. Went to Oxford and Cambridge, and they can hit you and destroy you mm-hmm. with language and words and thoughts and ideas, and then dress up in dresses and you know yeah. have the you know the the idiot twit of the year race or yeah. whatever you know just go completely into silliness.
3: Well, see that's and see this is where it's hard for me because and this is one of the reasons I was nervous about coming on to your guy's show is because for me I get that everything yeah. you're saying there I yeah. understand. But for me, it it wasn't any of it. As yeah. far as I was concerned, I didn't need to do research on Camelot right, or right. King Arthur because I know the story. Yeah. Literally, I will admit right now, everything I know about Camelot or anything else is because of this fucking movie. <laughs> and I'm like, and I feel like I'm done. Like I don't need. I, when I auditioned for Camelot, I was like, I don't. Need, I know what it. I know what. Man, maybe not a killer bunny necessarily. Right. Right. But like. <laughs> that's it so for me it was like I was able to (laughs) feel smart because I knew something about history but really it's not it's it's not history so here's an
0: interesting one so I recently listened to a series of lectures on King Arthur Starting with the original historical documents and Mort d'Arthur and all the evolution through oh, yeah. French stories and German stories and into, you know, Once and Future King and the Idols of the King and all, all, these, all these sources. And she's going through all the material. She finally gets to the modern age. She gets to movies. Mm. And the question comes up of which Arthurian movie does the best job. And she, without hesitation, says... Holy grail. Wow, <laughs> <really>? Absolutely, <laughs> professor, intellectual thing. And she says because of the way they portray the era, because of all, all and, and that, and that, the reality is, is you got these really smart Oxford and Cambridge guys, and when they went to make, write this film, they went to the library first. Yeah. They did serious research. Yep. They read yeah. all the source material in a very intellectual way. And so, it is actually, it's not accurate, but it is. It has the truth of to it,
2: right? But there's a silliness to it that we see even nowadays. Like... It's it's to me it's 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 transcendent, like it, it it it's timeless, rather. It's universal. All the comments on politics, the idea of leaders. Why is he? Why do you think he's a king? Oh, because he's not covered in shit. Right. Like it's just these brilliant lines that are just like boom, boom, boom that nail. Well, and, I and, didn't and vote for you. Yeah, well, you don't yeah. vote for it. Like that whole constitutional peasant sketch is one of the most amazing sketches on because you're because the, the silliness that a concept that a peasant would understand these concepts and words and be able to have a back and forth with a king about a government and then completely destroy the idea of the myth of arthur of a sword coming out it's just <laughs> brilliant
1: i order you to be quiet Order who does he think he is i'm your king well i didn't vote for you you don't vote for kings well i you become king then the lady of the lake her arm clad in the purest shimmering samite held aloft excalibur from the bosom of the water Signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! But you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor, just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up, will you? Shut up! Oh, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system!
2: And that's the thing that I enjoy about the film. The silliness, yes, but the brilliance within the silliness, and that is that, that speaks to their timelessness there's universal appeal as comedians and also in these movies know, yeah, i like i said to me this is the best life of brian is a great religious satire absolutely it's great meaning of life is uh, in and out at times but for me this one is the most consistently funny and it maintains its intelligence sketch to sketch all, all through
0: so so let's let's back up a little bit i want to talk a little bit about the origins of monty python oh, yeah. who these people are and how we get to this moment so first of all as we said these are uh people there Of the five British pythons, three went to Ca- Oxford and two went to Cambridge. I think right. that's what it is. And I always forget which one's which. Uh, and there's a rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, they all... Uh, Graham Chapman becomes a medical doctor. He's actually a physician. Uh, John Cleese is about to... Basically, do the equivalent of go to the bar and become a lawyer. And everyone said, like, this guy could have been a judge. I mean, brilliant guy. Uh, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and Eric Idle, who I think are the Oxford ones, also you know studied history and English and philosophy. And um, they are, and they all migrate towards footlights, which is I think the Cambridge one, or maybe that's the Oxford one, and whatever the equivalent is at the other school and realize that this is what they want to do. They go to the BBC, they start working for uh, the Frost uh, show, David Frost, mm-hmm. uh, who later does is Frost Nixon, um, and Cleese starts to become a star, and then uh, Idol, Terry Jones and Michael Palin, go off and do a kids show, which it was this kids show played in the afternoon, and everyone in England, all the cool people, started getting home at five o'clock to watch this kids show. And the idea comes up, maybe they should do a show together. At the same time, John Cleese was in America and met this strange animator, Terry Gilliam. And it's always weird to me that Terry Gilliam is really fully a part of Python. I know. Because when I first saw it, you never saw Terry Gilliam. You saw that he did this amazing animation. Right. And they come with... and and, And John Cleese says, well, let me work with Graham Chapman, who I know and like, and let's get these three guys from this kid's show. And they never... You know, they just kind of joined together. And one of the things that's interesting in watching, there's a very good documentary, which is the Almost the Truth, The Lawyer's Cut, which oh, is a great. big five-part documentary. Yeah. And the interesting thing watching it is they're not particularly buddies. no. Especially
2: Terry Jones and uh, Cleese, oh, yep. historical yep. Yep. Uh, hit, butting of heads. Yep. And if you buy the 40th anniversary of this DVD, not to cut you off real quick, Steve, you uh, Terry Jones still has makes a little dig in uh, when they're interviewing him about the deleted scenes. He sees them, and he's it's modern day. It's now I think or last year they recorded it. And he still makes a little small dig at Cleese. And it's still
0: there. It's still there. And if you watch the documentary, the same thing's happening. Cleese is making little digs at Terry Jones. Yes, And they all do. I mean, like, I I really do think the best equivalent to Monty Python is the Beatles, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. that they're this group who are individually very talented and individually do a lot of great stuff. And when they come together, there's some alchemy that happens. Like, for instance, they do the show. It becomes this big hit. And they don't quite know how big a hit it is until maybe the second season. When they start to go out and suddenly they're being recognized and suddenly these things are happening. And they do three seasons of the T V show. And then John Cleese says, I think we're done. <laughs> you know, I think we I think it's getting stale. And so he leaves and they do a half six more episodes without Cleese. And they're not as good. And what they all sort of say is you needed John Cleese to battle with Terry Jones. Yes, he did. And you needed, and you had these different personalities that were all bringing these really different things. You know, that Eric Idle was kind of, he he describes his ability as to plus everybody else. Mm -hmm. That Michael Palin was the person that everybody liked so that he could go between group to group and and, and negotiate things. That John Cleese had this dark, witty, uh, brilliant pointed sort of sense of humor, and Terry Jones had this huge conceptual sense of humor. And Terry Gilliam, one of the things they say that's really interesting is the whole style of not finishing a sketch, which is one of the big things they do. My favorite in the world. Is, is, that, that is it because favorite what, what, thing in the world. What traditionally happens in a sketch is that you have a really funny idea, and it's really funny for a while, and then it sort of lingers, and then you try to put a punchline on the end, and the punchline yeah. usually dies, and then you cut to commercial, which if you watch 30, 40 years of Saturday Night Live... You see this happen all the time. Yep. And what they get from Terry Gilliam, from seeing Terry Gilliam's animation, which is sort of stream of consciousness, is this can go to this, and that goes to that, is when the sketch isn't funny, just go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right, stop that. Silly. I'm a bit suspect, I think.
2: And that's the things you li- this is one of the things you like about them, right? Love. Like, yeah.
3: Love, because it's like smoke and mirrors to the audience. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, in the movie. Oh, get on with it already. Get on with it already. <laughs> right? It's just... It's like, we're done with this moment. Yeah. Like, why does it need to have a punchline? Right. We're done. Right. I'm, I'm done. I'm getting up from the table and we're walking away, and that's okay.
2: And that's the subversive nature of their comedy. They're even right. making fun of themselves in their own comedy, the old concept Correct. of comedy. Correct. Are de- deconstructing it. And right. that's, that's, you have to have such a level of intelligence to go even deeper into the stuff that you are known for. You do. deconstruct
3: it. And look, that's in, in, they've, they've all commented on this in the past, too. It's like, can this exist? today if you if it's not something you're funding yourself or doing yourself and coming from the studio system being a studio executive but that is also why I love them is Mm -hmm. I hire people and work with people that I don't have to give notes to I don't want to give notes in fact I want to reserve 30 minutes to read your script read it all the way through and then go on with my day because I have other stuff I want to do I do not want to give a note because it, I've hired you because I think you're brilliant. Yeah,
2: you're that rare executive that does not want to have your handprints or thumbprints no. on the piece that's being put out into the world. My name to be isn't on it. Why right. do I? What, what? Yeah. And by the way, my nieces and nephews
3: and, and soon to be my child are the ones that I want to impress. Yeah. If my name's not on the credits, they don't understand what I do anyway, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Who cares?
0: So, so if a Monty Python script came across basically any executive in Hollywood today, how would they react
3: to? They it? would not be able to help themselves. They they would they mm-hmm. they would not be able unless it was the finished piece. They would not be able to help themselves without referring to something. Well, yeah. this isn't like you know in Grail. You guys did this in this. You did, yeah. and they just don't they don't realize now. However, one of the things I did hear, and I mean, you guys might know more about this than I do. The scripts were the scripts. Like there's mm-hmm. not a lot of improv in what you see right. with what they do. They figure that all out ahead of time and that's why they're able to shoot so quickly and
2: so right. cheaply is because they're ready to go. But that's also why there's battles on sets, because they they 'cause like they would come up with they would come up with what they thought were funnier things and they'd be like, so there'd be other forces being like, No, the script is the script. Right. right.
0: They they are not a group of improvisers. They right. are definitely a but there are Constant, constant battles about the script. Mm-hmm. I mean, this script started two years before they started shooting. Originally, it was uh, about fifty percent Arthur and fifty percent modern day. Yeah, and
2: with and that historian and everything.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it was.
3: Yeah, oh. it was going to be. It was going to be going back and forth, talking about. More of a narrative of the story right, as right, opposed right, to right. just being in the story. Oh, well, and this
0: is, you know, it's always I want to give advice to screenwriters. And, you know, screenwriters tend to come. They look at a movie like this and go, oh, they're such genius. Amazing how they were able to sit down and just write this thing. It's like, right. well, they didn't. They, You know, <laughs> they spent literally a couple of years writing and then stopping and then fighting and then rewriting and throwing things out. They threw out from their description hundreds of pages which we can assume whatever those hundreds of pages of John Cleese and Michael Palin and yeah. they were probably really funny things brilliant mm-hmm. and they threw them out yeah. and, and you look at um uh, so the movie's directed by Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones the mm-hmm. two people that really wanted to be directors yeah. and it seems like they were the right people to direct and also huge amounts of conflict come yeah. from both these two guys and the relationship of these two guys to the other actors right. because suddenly your partner is now your boss yeah and that's that's hard to deal with. Yep. And Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones have very, very different approaches to how they did stuff. For instance, Terry Gilliam is used to animation. So he's used to, I think, I forget what the quote is exactly, but he had to adjust from having godlike control over pieces of cardboard and pens <laughs> to having to negotiate with humans. And that he couldn't get everybody to be framed exactly that way right. because that was uncomfortable for John Cleese. And why was John Cleese being asked to hold his shoulder in that particular position? Right. <laughs> and that was very difficult for him. And if you watch Terry Gilliam movies, as because he becomes more mm-hmm. of his own director, you can see that visual, precise. You know, yeah. You-
3: well, well, look what he's tried to do with Man of La Mancha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. With Man of La Mancha, he was like, "Well, we just." back in the day we just we filmed this in our back we yeah. filmed Bonnie Python you know the holy grail in our backyard and we found one castle and we used that one you know then he goes and tries doing you know man of la mancha yeah. you know shipping an entire set you know very far away yeah. and then the elements hit him and it, you can't
2: you can't repeat it yeah.
3: <laughs> you can't repeat it
2: which if you haven't seen the documentary on that it is an illuminating Amazing. documentary to see what the process of creating a film and failing in making this film, right. a film with a name star like Johnny Depp in his prime, yep.
0: can feel like. So, so to be clear for people who don't know what we're talking about, yeah. he wanted to make a movie of Man of La Mancha. He spent decades yeah. trying to make it. And it was shooting it, was in fact shooting it, oh, yes. and went through tremendous disasters. The movie never got made, and the documentary is called Lost in La Mancha. Yeah, Lost in it's La Mancha.
3: Supposedly now they're filming it again, though, yes? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Really? yes,
2: yes. He's back on board, and he's found money from doing these other films that somehow have made it through that he is able to fund it now again. It's interesting. I think that's what's so fascinating about his work, man. You, Steve, you make a great point about Terry. Gubb. Fisher King is an anomaly in his, but mm. uh, because that is the one; those are the one films where the actors actually stand out more than the director. And Terry always makes it about himself because Terry is a very visually oriented person because he comes from animation, you know, and that makes sense. And there's not a there's not a negative about that at all because some of his films are some of the most beloved films for people who enjoy films, you know, but fisher king is the anomaly so your point is absolutely right like this idea of negotiating with human beings versus negotiating on paper and cardboard and and and, and pencils and color it's a whole other ballgame and with, whereas terry is more of the i'm sure the disciplinarian is what is what you terry feels was, terry jones, terry jones. Yes. yeah
0: but terry jones wasn't a planner so yeah. terry jones would show up on the set and just start <laughs> telling people what to do right and from what i hear about terry jones super intense extremely passionate yeah. about what he was doing and, and what would happen while they were shooting... I mean, this is... So, to, to be clear, this is a low-budget movie. This mm-hmm. is very much what we would call an indie film. They made it... I think it's 50,000 pounds or 80,000 pounds, which yeah. maybe translates to a couple hundred thousand dollars today. So, it's a very independent film. They were originally going to shoot up in Scotland, uh, and it worked out all... These are the castles we're going to shoot at. These are the locations we're going to go to. And maybe a couple of weeks before the shoot, the government of Scotland said... We cannot let you disrespect our national monuments like that, <laughs> and, and you're out. So they had to scramble at the last minute to find these locations, and basically, it's one castle. One castle. For all the castles, uh, and a few cardboard cutouts. Yeah. It's shot in literally in their backyard sometimes. Yes. You know? and At the same time, you have Terry Gilliam come in with his plan, and he's talking to the DP, and he's setting up the shot, and then he goes away to get into costume, and Terry Jones comes up and, and changes everything. And then Terry Gilliam comes back and says, "What the hell's going on?" And, this, and yet they still managed to shoot this movie in mm. three weeks or something like that. Yeah. And it's unbelievable and pretty good visually, yeah. considering. Well, that's the
3: thing. And I, I you know, it, it had been a little while since I had seen this. I was doing a lot of research to see. Yeah. And as I was reading some of the things about, like you know, the 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 chainmail is actually just wool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's woven. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, and the, the cutouts. I'm like, is this going to, am I now, right. am I now hold ruining up? Yes. what I saw before and did this? And I found myself the first time watching it through with the commentary really trying to, like, pick apart. And I'm going, no, right. it's still fucking, br- it's still amazing. Yeah. And even if you know that stuff, yeah. now it
0: becomes even more amazing. Yeah, I, I look at that cardboard cutout castle that they use a couple times. Sony a model. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, even looking at it, knowing it, it still looks great, yeah. And, and a lot of that has to do with Terry Gilliam and his ability to pick the right angle. You know, mm-hmm. you know. There's a famous story of Akira Kurosawa where they asked him a question about some shot in Ron where all the samurai come over the hill, and they say, "Go to Kurosawa. How did you frame that shot so perfectly? Like, mm-hmm. how did you decide of all the places you could shoot that that was what would look so amazing?" And Kurosawa's answer is. Well, there were power lines on that side and a Honda factory over there, so that's sort of <laughs> how I had to shoot it. And, and and it's kind of a bullshit line because, right. of course, you still had some more options. But 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 the reality is, is that it's not just what you have, but how you shoot it. You put the camera there. Is one angle where you could make that cardboard cutout yeah. look great, right? And the lighting right, and a lot of smoke. They love smoke. Love yeah, smoke. It's, yeah, too, especially the There There's scenes where you can literally see the smoke machine just, yeah, <sighs> flying. Well, I, think, I wonder if that's why they made, uh, you
2: know, the the Cleese character, the soothsayer or whatever it is with the bunny, they made him Scottish. Maybe they made it because they Tim, insult Tim, Tim, Tim the Enchanter. Yeah, they insult the <laughs> hell out of him through the whole thing. And maybe oh, yeah. because the funding fell through or they would let him shoot in Scotland. So they're like, screw it. We're just going to berate this guy in a Scot- who has a Scottish accent. But that's only funny. But that scene where Tim is up on
3: the mountain. To, <laughs> blowing like, stuff up. The, actually real. I mean, you, yeah. you imagine them saying, yeah. like, just waiting for him to climb over to the thing that got the explosion. <laughs> set up on the side of the hill. What
1: manner of man are you that can summon up fire without flint or tinder? I am an enchanter. By what name are you known? There are some who call me Tim. It was never my
3: favorite scene. I was always waiting for the bunny. Yeah. Now going back older, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is there's some good stuff yeah. here. But I feel like like real geeks, that that's one of their favorite scenes. And right. for me, it, it wasn't. It never it never was, kind of until now.
1: Bones of full fifty men lie thrown about its lair, so brave knights if you do doubt your courage. All your strength come ne'er further, for death awaits you all with nasty big pointy teeth.
0: What an eccentric performance. So yes. let, let's go through and talk about some of these scenes. Okay, yeah. Because the movie's very episodic. They come out of sort of a sketch yes. thing. Well, hold on. So, real quick to that, though.
3: Not until people saying, and you said it in the beginning, too, yeah. about it, it's a series of sketches put together. It is. With, with I, a, with a but, barely there through life. But see, that's what I still completely disagree oh. with that. I feel like, no, no, no. And I know it's true. Right. I right, know right, it's right, real. Right. But for me. No, it it's... Is, right, you're right. Nope. It feels like it is it's... A, per- yeah, absolutely. It is a, and now as I'm like starting to like dig into it, know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. They never actually... They go to Camelot, which is their first thing. Right. No, it's a silly place. And then walk away. Right. They never find the grail because... Police show up at the end of the frigging movie to stop the whole it's thing. The meta like,
2: moment in the like, movie. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, you've basically been watching a cosplay adventure for an hour and a half, yes. and you're like, wait, wait, this is a wait. I've been watching a reenactment, yes. and that's what's so brilliant. Like all of yes. a sudden they turn because you're so into it, like you're so yes. serious. Everyone's doing. They're going to different villages and yeah. all this stuff. You're like, this has to be real. Yeah. And then you have that first glimpse that there's something more here when that historian is talking, and then the guy yeah. comes across and cuts his throat, and the woman running in going Frank, yeah, like that is. Bar- Brilliant to have his wife run in off camera, the best. Scared that her historian husband is dead, and then she's the one that calls the cops and they go and find the culprits <laughs> of this whole thing, which is their way once again of subversively making fun of the idea of history and historians Correct. trying to tell you what happened when they weren't even there. They weren't even me. there, and it's just brilliant. I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, so,
3: scenes. No, I- so, <laughs> scenes, so
0: So we start with. Uh, so first we start with Swedish subtitles. Yes, we- for, for the credits. Oh no
3: no no! First we start with dentist on the job. Oh. First oh, first yeah. we start with a real movie, which I did not know until this moment. Right. That was ahead of the time, and then the and then the projectionist gets yelled at. They take the reel off, <laughs> right. and then put on the credits. Right. <laughs>
0: So right right away we're you're, you're messing with the reality yes. of film itself. Yeah. Then we go to King Arthur and Patsy, uh, Graham Chapman and Terry Gilliam yes. ride right up with coconuts. Right. So right away again the coconuts messing with the reality, which the which was a budgetary <laughs>
2: yes it
3: was choice. Yeah. Right. Which was like well we can't afford horses. All right, and then it just becomes the. the, I think probably the best running gag of the entire Mm -hmm. movie. Well,
0: and what's so funny is there's a certain point in the movie you don't even notice, you don't even think about the fact. No, it's like you know they're doing the horsey kind of run, and you just don't care. And then we get into he goes to this castle, will invite someone to join him, and we get into a discussion of coconuts and swallows. Right, Um, and it and it's this mix, like we said at the beginning of brilliant intellectualism yeah. with complete
3: silliness. And yeah. that's the thing. is like somebody trying to... On a very... And, and I think Graham Chapman is so underappreciated in oh, this yeah. movie because he is like... He's the rock. And, it, and especially what I hear he was going through yeah. in terms of alcoholism and all the rest of it too. Yeah. Like he is. He is the rock through this and that he is trying to just get into this castle to find somebody that can join him on his... So like the the earnestness of this character to like finding people to go on this quest and this asshole up in this tower keeps like, you got two coconuts and you're banging them together. And he's like, I, I, it, that doesn't matter.
2: I've got a question for you. Focus. <laughs> the fact, but the fact that they get like just so lost in the whole idea of the sparrows and they're still going while Arthur takes off.
0: Oh yeah. Like That's, they have no others like let's yes. get out of here well, and they're
2: it, just it, like, you know.
0: It's so important because you need that straight man yeah. in the middle of the silliness. Yes. And, like without him just being straight and focused and the rock of the scene I think everything else sort of falls apart like like you know go ahead to John Cleese on the castle as the Frenchman which is oh my gosh this is where <laughs> I actually I feel bad that I'm not one of the people that can quote this movie we
1: shall take your castle by force you don't frighten us English pig dogs go and boil your bottom sons of a silly person ah blow my nose at you so called after king you and all your silly English can
2: but once again it's that whole thing between France and England yes. right they have yep. that so they make the French like what are you doing here in England and he's like mind your own business and you know this whole thing it's I just told pulling... them we already got one and then they start launching fowl and cows and fruit at them and vegetables
1: if you do not agree to my commands then I shall ah. Jesus Christ and
2: that's what's so fucking hilarious about the film is they have these little moments where they're having those, those, those back and forths, and, you, and the, you know they're saying something you know they're, throwing, they're making these little digs but you love it because it's done in such a brilliant way oh, and yeah. no one loses status no one loses status through the whole film well, that's and, so brilliant
0: and, and it's such an example of one of the things with Python is they're a group but there are a group of individuals yeah. and you know that John Cleese wrote that Yes, it is very much within because John Cleese has this ability to write intense, angry, (laughs) you know, going back to the parrot sketch and the cheese sketch where you see these rants like he's one of the great ranters. And so you're seeing the John Cleese writing for this French character who does. I mean, and man, you could go through and dissect those insults. The one uh, that I just realized, watching this last time, yeah. is Knigget. Have you yeah. seen Can- the word? Can- <laughs> I only just understood that that's knights. Yeah. What? Really? just, yeah, oh. <laughs> the For best. whatever reason, because there's so much in that mod, Yeah. I heard that he's calling them this weird word, and right. I was like, oh, it's knights. <laughs> <laughs> right. But also when, when the, the they're
2: pushing the Trojan, whatever that is, and they right? to get inside. His face, when he does the... Yeah. The big double take yeah. of seeing that's their commentary on French acting. That's the thing. There's stuff there, right? It's all there that's playful and fun and it's not offensive. It's just meant to highlight certain things and make it fun. But
3: also, too, when you're younger and you don't yes, understand of that, it's just a goofy guy in a night outfit that's yeah. making funny faces and it's right. hysterical.
0: Right. One very little thing, but I think it's funny, is that. Uh, John Cleese stood in a certain way and put his gauntleted hands a certain way over the wall and Terry Gilliam thought that was the funniest thing yeah, in the yes. world and forced him to continue to do these hand gestures and John Cleese hated it yep. but Terry Gilliam is 100% right He really was so cool. funny yeah. the way his hands move in that scene and what, when he's smacking his head this whole thing is just brilliant
3: what is, what is your favorite scene in the movie? Uh, constitutional peasant, it beyond, is. Doubt, beyond okay. any doubt
1: we're in a syndicalist commune We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more major... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet.
2: Just, just because it hits on so many buttons for me personally as a political junkie and also the idea of class warfare and the idea of a peasant and this whole – that his name's Kevin – Dennis rather. Well, and, that's a and so thing too, that too is
3: yeah. constitutional peasants is probably one of my favorites yeah. as well. But it's like – but also like the lead up to the scene too. Yeah. Old woman. Yeah. Man. man. <laughs> right? I'm 37. It's just like, right.
2: what? Well, I can't just call you mad. <laughs> like, I can't just call you man. But, the, but there's the social commentary. You don't care enough about the people you're ruling to know the people you're ruling. Right. It's just about being a ruler because you're lost in your own thing. And then when you get called out on it, you can't
0: defend it and then you start abusing them physically. Right. And it's just so brilliant. But you still feel for Graham Chapman in the moment. Of course. Because you're with him Of course. and you're like, oh, he didn't, he messed up. Right. You know, he's not trying to do this and you're laying this whole thing off yes. of correct great point Steve yeah you're still because you're kind of pissed off at them
2: yeah because Dennis is kind of a dick himself yes. oh yes <laughs> Steve what was
3: your what's your favorite scene in the movie
0: it's very so that's one of them without yeah. question yeah. it's very hard to pick the other two would be uh, Terry Jones and Michael Palin in the uh, Huge tracks of Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God. I,
1: I want to sing. No, no, it won't
0: be that. No, I mean, it, it is because, of course, Money Python, the Pythons play all these different characters, and I actually yeah. think they're largely unrecognizable. I, I know. No, I are. completely agree with you. I, I certainly know that that's Michael Palin, yeah. both as Sir Galahad and, you know, all these different parts. Yeah. And yet, their, their whole mannerism and the costumes are so good. And I think that Terry Jones in that role. It took me years before I knew that was Terry Jones. Yep. Because he's so- Oh,
2: yeah, because he's so waifish in the role. You're like, wait, but most of the time he's a bigger guy. He has those plays. And it's that whole. You're, it's a great one to bring up, Steve, because there's so much in it. There is Lancelot. The running, the running thing with the drums, and then which he... is a joke
0: on filmmaking. Because yes, it's an editing joke. That's <laughs> yep. right. Yep. right. And then when he stabs
2: the guy, the guard, the other guard is like, "Hey, it's just brilliant. This, this, a little brilliant moment." And he comes in, he's just killing everybody because that's the way. What like this whole idea of legend of like saving someone from the tower, killing innocent people just to get there, and then it's like this a dude. dude. <laughs> it's a dude. He's like, "Oh well, I got a letter." <laughs> I think
3: one of my favorite physical pieces of humor and it's so simple is when he's shooting that air when he's getting the arrow prepared oh my god and the guards are just looking over at him, and he's getting, <laughs> and he shoots it in like the most
0: the just most,
3: like, flamboyant way it's just so great that's what <laughs> one of the best smoke scenes is right after that when when, oh, when uh eric Idle get oh, gets, gets yes <laughs> yes
2: oh yeah he's just, he's
3: just, i think
2: message probably, for you sir <laughs> message for you sir
3: i think one of my favorite scenes probably that i can watch over and over again is the witch Oh. The witch scene. oh yeah, because that that is that I couldn't think of it. We were talking about yeah. the cyclical thinking that happens, right? Yeah. Just this ridiculous going down this hole of like, what else floats? <laughs> like a church, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's just and I think one of probably the only times in the movie where you almost see somebody break, right? Oh yeah, Eric Idle, Eric Idle with the knife, yeah. right? Where he just yeah. you know right before He's right on the right, edge, Very Small rocks,
0: you know, the, perfect. The, the, well, and the thing because that is. A it's a very funny scene, obviously, but it is an expose of bad logic. It mm. is it is and you see this
2: Is this the witch in the wood and yes. the breath? Yes. 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 It,
0: it is it is he's saying these things and he's mm-hmm. has one logical point that leads to the next, <laughs> right. and it leads to that she must weigh the same as a duck. Right.
1: How do we tell whether she is made of wood? Build a bridge out of her! Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, does a wood sink in water? No, 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 it floats! It floats! Throw oh, her into the bowl! <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread! Apples! Uh, Very small rocks! Cider! Great gravy! Cherries! Mud! Churches! Uh, Churches! Lead! Lead! A duck! Mm. Exactly!
0: And that is totally insane. And honestly, today, particularly looking at politics and arguments and there's all sorts of people that use logic like this and not yep.
2: just subversive logic there's two two other things going on there also the idea of being able to fool the uneducated masses mm-hmm. with just because you just because you might have just this much more education but you're obviously incredibly just as stupid because you think that wood and a human being would weigh the same right. because of your messed up scales and it's also a comment about men versus women it is this comment of oh, yeah. this woman they they deem her a witch for whatever reasons, and then they use idiotic logic to chastise her, to chastise her, rather, and to make her feel like lesser than, and to and to essentially burn her at the stake. And she says, yeah, fair court. Right. <laughs> this is a brilliant
0: line. Except, except, and this is the genius of Python, yeah. is the capper at the end, because... So you get, you're going to go through this whole progression, yeah. we're going to lead to, we're going to weigh her, and you're now faced with two choices. One choice is she is a witch, and mm-hmm. one choice is she is not a witch. Right. And everything you've said about the oppression of women, and it's obvious that I many they put yeah. the thing on her. Yeah, the nose. Yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. Everything is pointing to a scene about the idiocy of someone who would burn a witch. Right. Except in the end, she's a witch. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, putting that she, in fact, does weigh the same as yeah. a duck. Right. And that everything that fear said, which was insane. It's is, true. Is true. <laughs> Wait a
2: minute. Wait a minute. What are you guys saying? You guys think she's a witch? Yes. When is she proven to be a witch? He says,
3: he says, what else? floats? And he goes, and then that's when Arthur comes in. He goes, a, a duck. duck. Yes. And he goes, oh. Because they put her on the Correct. scale. Yeah. And she weighs the same she's as a duck. duck. No, because his
2: duck. scales are messed up. No, it's not, not because she's an actual
3: witch. No, when they knock no. it out. I looked at it again. I, I disagree agree completely. So what happens is after she gets off, yeah. the duck is still in there and the scale goes back down. I'm so telling you, go back and look, dude. I to put this out all to our right. audience. I'm going to
2: agree to disagree <laughs> because to all me, it. it's because he's an idiot. Benavir is an actual no, idiot. Because tr- this is the same the guy twist. who comes up with the Trojan whatever and doesn't put anybody inside that's it. That's the he's twist. He's an idiot. <laughs> that's that's the so twist. Oh, right.
0: So I got to put this out all to the I disagree. I disagree. fans, I would like to hear your vote. On whether or not she is a witch, and we, we, we'd like to hear from you. I just think
2: that idiot couldn't create scales that made any sense at all in his
0: life. So I don't agree that she's. That's a the witch. frustrating thing about what, it. What? What other thing? Do you remember what Bedivere is playing with when we first see him? He that is with the the swallow
3: with a coconut attached to his husk. All right, that, yeah, yeah, attached yeah. to his leg. So right? we're
0: co- we're continuing this. As yeah. swallows, this yeah. This is a great mystery. That all of the world are contemplating yep. is coconuts and swallows. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even the guy
3: on the bridge that asks them you know, what their favorite color is. I That's, absolutely love the that. The man scene. from scene twenty-four. <laughs> yes, which right. by the way, <laughs> I was like, it, it took me until seeing it now. I'm like, oh, he's in we're in scene twenty four. <laughs> right, okay, when they were when they were
2: having the whole yeah, exactly. That's when they would say when they say get on with it, get on and they're showing you people that are not even in the movie yes. yet. So brilliant, the best. But yes, that scene at the bridge. Once again, it's that whole thing of like, oh yeah. And then, of course, uh, uh, was it Robin the Brave or whatever? Sir Robin Bravely the
0: Brave, Lee Brave. Sir Robin.
2: <laughs> right. The... He runs up. And he's like, oh, I can answer those questions. And that's the kind of thing when you know you. Everyone knows that guy who's like criticizing everybody else and doesn't want to step forward. But then when he thinks it's safe, he steps forward to try to get grandeur. And I love that he gets shot the at. What
0: is the capital of Assyria? <laughs>
2: Down. But
0: when they turn it around, that's brilliant as well. Yeah. To question well, it, African actually, or European swallow. Well, and to your point, Mike, this is where there actually is a plot and a story. Yeah. With right, things that are coming back. Right. they give giving you enough, enough of it. Back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just yeah, enough. Yes, there are little sketches that you can kind of pull out. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, we talked about you know what's your favorite. I don't think any of these drop the ball. No, of They're course all not. Really good. Yeah. You know, and and this is something just just true about Python in general is that. I love old Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And if you go and watch the full episode of the first, second, third season, or honestly, any season in the history of Saturday Night Live, you watch a whole episode, there are losers. In oh, yeah. every yep. episode. In fact, most episodes are mostly eh. Yeah. And then they're the brilliant sketches. You go, wow, that's great. You watch episodes of Monty Python, that's not the case. Yeah. And part of it is the cutting out early and going to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But, but man, most of those episodes of Monty Python they are hitting on all cylinders.
2: One of my favorite sketches of the Monty Python is the uh, soccer, the philosophers playing soccer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that because I'm a huge soccer fan, and then, and and then I'm no, a huge
0: philosopher. Th- yeah, right. And so
2: to have a, I have a, I have a, a somewhat of a medium knowledge of philosophers. The brilliance of what they would do, the existential nature of whether to kick the ball or not kick the ball, what to do, all of it, just so brilliant. Yeah. And to have Beckenbauer come in and, sc- like, just all of it is just so brilliant. But that's the nature of it, right? The ridiculousness of philosophy. And then put into a soccer situation, it just confronts you as a viewer to, to, to go with on the road with them. And they, all these sketches do that in the film.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about violence. <laughs> Monty Python has a particular approach to violence, yes. yeah. and there's real, like, bloody stuff in this oh, movie. Yeah. In particular, the Black Knight. Yes, yes. Uh, what is it about their approach to, to violence that works and is so funny?
2: Well, the, comical na- the over-the-top comical nature of it, I think. Uh, I mean, the whole idea of cutting off entire limbs and that the person still won't get the message that he's beaten.
3: And I think the fact that there's... And again, I, I, I have to go back and watch some of the other things, but yeah. like, there's no pain associated with it. Yeah, right. Like, it's this horribly violent thing, and there's no pain associated <laughs> yeah. with it. So you kind of go,
0: all right, leading out here. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Well, and I think, I think that's what it is, is that what, what's weird is that when we see violence in movies, there's actually frequently very little pain. And yeah. we don't see the consequences of violence in movies. You know, like you'll have 100 people killed at some horrible thing. Right, right. And the hero's just moving on. Yeah. And so between the Black Knight and the Lancelot scene, oh my God. which is hugely violent. It's yeah, massively it's, violent. It's, it's, it's kind of pointing at the lack of consequences in this way yeah. that is making it really funny and making everything... Because you know what Monty Python does, I think, is... Is it's not just that they're doing absurd things, they're making everything else look absurd, absolutely. You know, so they're humanity. It, apparently, there's a, another Arthur movie that came out the same year, and I can't remember what it was called. I think it was, a, it was called Lancelot or something. Okay, that was very violent and very artsy. And that people went to see it and started laughing because they had seen <laughs> Holy oh Grail and they were doing it, it was almost <laughs> exactly the same stuff. Oh, god, <laughs> there were
2: shades when they have when they go on the ship. Uh, 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 Arthur and uh, Benavir near the end of the film to go across yeah Yeah. that is uh, looks like Excalibur uh, looks like Excalibur and I was like checking 1974 is this movie Excalibur is 1981 and I was like Wow Borman you need to give credit here man because it is so obviously that just like Borman shot at the end of the film of Excalibur when Arthur and uh, I forget the 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 knight Percival Percival has to give the sword back to the lady of the lake that whole thing yeah I love that the
3: story was they actually they sent the boat over and they didn't actually have the key to get into the castle yet to shoot yeah (laughs) they just (laughs) sent the boat over and it was like we didn't even have access to the castle yet like this was this they brought the boat back got everything Then got over there. It's like, yes, that's awesome.
2: But the last thing you talk about is interesting, Steve, too, because like the violence that occurs. But what happens is Michael Palin sees an opportunity. Right. Once he finds out that he's a knight of the round table that can help his house, <laughs> he essentially tries to kill his son, which he was trying to save for a better political purpose. Then when he saw a bigger political purpose, he essentially tries to sacrifice his son, gets everybody to forgive. him. He goes, this is supposed to be a day of happiness. It's not, would well, just get involved with who killed who. It's not going to be all that kind of jazz because he wants to curry favor with King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table thinking it's a political purpose for him and then has the woman's father killed. Yeah, who's almost almost dying. Yeah, right. Which is, which, I think which the is another thing time, that goes through yeah. the film. Yeah, that is good multiple third, times. Third, third. Is right. it? Yeah, because we have yeah, Bring, Eric out, bring Idle, out Your Dad. Yeah. Then Eric Idol, yeah. Yeah. And Eric Idle. Yeah, right. This oh, yeah. I think I can make it. <laughs> no, no, just stay here. <laughs> Oh, and one last thing. Can I jump yes. in? Good, because whole, my brain just went... No, it's okay. It this, whole, this whole idea, and this is so, it's so great to watch now, a film from 1974. This whole idea that Lancelot has to escape a certain way, it's essentially, without them knowing it's essentially an undercutting of the branding that people do of themselves. You I can't just leave out the front door. I have to leave swinging off a chandelier rope right. through the window blah blah blah. It, it helps for my idiom. Thing. Yeah, in the idiom, right? And this whole thing of like undercutting the idea of branding and they don't even have a concept of maybe that they're doing that in 1974, but in 2016 watching it you're like, "Oh my god, that's brilliant." Yeah. You know? Makes
3: complete sense. Yeah. Knights of the Round Table. Oh my god. Which which again here according to rumor cuz I wasn't there to shoot it right, right. <laughs> uh, that it was you know shot in one day which is very The song, impressive. you mean the song? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? But I think it's when you when you also like dig deep and look at the actual lyrics yeah how they how they rhyme things like i, I wrote this one down where knights of the round table our show our shows are formidable right <laughs> but many times we're given rhymes that are quite unsingable like and you're just going, i never
0: heard that before holy really shit
3: like they, they did formidable and unsingable and then just we were like, no, okay, we're going to rhyme it by saying able, able, like
0: right. perfect, and then made fun of it that they had to rhyme it that way. because the rhymes are
3: unsing. Correct.
0: <laughs> you, you know what occurs to me now is that we talked about why is this quotable? Yeah, and and, and the reason is is because you actually had to watch it over and over again to hear what they yes, said. That's a good point. Yeah, is <laughs> that you couldn't you couldn't hear the John Cleese speech yeah. or the Constitutional Peasant or 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 the Camelot song? Yeah. You had a you had and this is a world in which we have videotape. Yes, you know is that. Holy Grail is a movie you have to own mm-hmm. because you have to watch it again and again and again to get more and more out of it. You right. can't just see it in a theater and get it all. Like one of the things that happens in a movie theater, which is great, but a big audience laughs, frequently covers up the next line. Mm-hmm. You know, So you're going to miss a whole bunch yep, of stuff. Yeah. Whereas at home on video, you're rewinding. You're like, okay, now I, now, now I get it all.
3: Yeah. I remember one part of the movie that pissed me off when I was younger because wow. I didn't mind all of the – you know. The, the funny transitions that happen. So Galahad which,
0: couldn't have sex with all those
3: women. <laughs> <Is> that <really laughs> that did. But, oh, that Bad, is so naughty, great. Zoot, naughty, naughty zoot. <laughs> um, the when the 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 creature of ah uh, yeah is chasing them, and then the narrator says that the the animator suffered a massive heart attack, which is died. Terry
2: Gilliam, falling correct, backwards.
3: falling yeah. backwards. I mean, I was so that one pissed me off. <laughs> Because I was just like, we've gone down a hole, literally a rabbit hole with you. We've gone down this hole. You've creeped. Okay, we're with you. There's a bunny. There's the this. There's the this. And now you are literally, tra- you your back is against a wall and yeah. you have nowhere else to go. Right. And
0: now you're going to say, the guy that's been, ant- I was.
3: It, it would piss me off. It's so away. funny
0: Because what you because the thing that you said You loved the most When we started Correct. Is the thing that is Pissing you off now the one oh, yeah. It
3: was the one moment In it that did That I was just like And I think when I was younger too A little bit frustrated The movie yeah. ended the way That it did as well
0: Oh right. like, yeah yeah, yeah not, it just ends But yeah. I also
3: like I was the one for Pink Panther When we got the live action movie That my dad rented for mm. us When we were younger That the Pink Panther Wasn't actually in the movie right. The animated character <laughs> Also pissed me off too So I you know, had a lot of problems <laughs> I had lot let things to work out.
2: out I had to let things <laughs> work out <laughs> I do like the bunny scene because the bunny scene is also, in a way, especially at the time 1974, Vietnam is happening. Oh, this yeah. idea of a superpower oh, yeah. going onto their terrain and, and uh, uh, wow. underestimating. Yeah, I've never, this, this never occurred this, to me. This, this is oh, in my yeah, mind as I'm watching because it's a bunny, and he's got all these little bones around. And he's. The, uh, uh, Tim is trying to tell you this is the dangerous thing and the arrogance of a superpower to be like – Oh, just send our weakest soldier to go out there and kill him, and it gets cut up, and they think they can bum rush it, and the bunny just destroys them, and they all run away. And this idea that this—you think you can over, or you think you can underestimate an opponent on their terrain. Someone like Vietnamese and
0: losing, and then have to go back and eat it. And that there's something there with that as well. And I thought when I watched it, I was like, "This That's is crazy. so brilliant." It's, it never occurred to me. Of course, you're right. I mean, certainly the arrogance of them occurred right. to me, and not listening to Tim occurred to right. me. Right, but it never the Vietnam thing that never
2: just a, this just seems so logical to me and even what we're seeing now what happened in afghanistan with the russians when in afghanistan whole idea they think they can go on their terrain and and uh think that they're they're better than them and that the, they just get smoked because they have no idea how to fight that kind of war and just like they have no idea
0: how to fight a buddy yeah, the, afghanistan, a the afghanistan one is really dumb because it's like okay every superpower in history yeah from alexander the great the mongols the british the mm-hmm. soviets have all going in there and right. it's been really rough
2: and the irony is because uh so many nations have tried to do that to russia over the years and they always get destroyed because they don't understand how to fight sure. in russian weather yeah. and so the idea of the russian to be so arrogant to go to think they yeah. can fight in afghanistan on their terms not understanding the afghanistan weather and afghanistan and terrain is as ridiculous
0: yeah so yeah um look. knights who say me <laughs> before <laughs> we peer too I mean, far off <laughs> best, i mean best we, transition we, <laughs> in i don't yeah, think absolutely. we could I think
3: we would get we would get crucified if yes. we if we did not talk about the knights who say me because yeah. once again here we are and yet
0: it wasn't any of our favorite uh sequences but it's still funny as well oh, no, oh, yeah it,
3: it's still great and yeah. i i think also too it's also the long joke of that scene as well yeah which is they go out Find a shrubbery, bring it back, and now they're lo- no longer the knights who say knee. Right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which, which is yeah.
2: which is just it, brilliant. The government has changed, yes, and they have to come back and do something else to curry favor with that government. Correct. Yeah. Well, correct.
0: Then, I, it's always been the way when 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 Arthur says nee to the old lady. <laughs> yeah, it's always this weird. Like what I never understood <laughs> how what i was supposed to feel. <gasps> But then one of the best parts of the movie
3: Everything's the best part of the movie One of the best parts of the movie is like No, 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 no Knee, knee,
2: knee
1: And then Roger the shrubbery. Yeah, I was going to say
2: To run run into the shrubbery And then
0: he starts to like a dog But if goes
1: Knee And I was like No, 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 no
0: Um, one thing I want to bring up on the filmmaking thing—that's most interesting thing—I remember I had, I had owned the laserdisc for this. Oh wow! And I watched. Ooh, and I watched, you must have been rich. I had watched <laughs> yeah. the commentary track, which is the same commentary track that's on the Blu-ray. By yeah. The, so the, that commentary track's twenty years old. Yeah, probably. But um, uh, and that Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones said a thing that's so important about filmmaking, which is that they're in the editing room, and Terry Gilliam is saying, "We got to cut the scene. It's not working." And Terry Jones will say, "Yeah, but it was so hard to get the shot." And you remember that Eric was so funny on that day, and that John was sick, and that Graham was probably drunk, and these are all the things that happened. And we worked so hard. Mm-hmm. We got to keep the shot. And Terry Gilliam was just like, "The shot is only what it is on film. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. All that yeah. matters is, is to make the film better or not." And that's a. Su- and that is the difference. That is why Terry Gilliam goes on to be a great Hollywood director, and right. Terry Jones doesn't. And and. And, and that that's such an important lesson for any filmmaker who's in post is that all that matters is what is contributing to the film yeah like every your intentions with the scene, how good it looked on the page, the actor's performance, how much money you spent on whatever you spent mm-hmm. it does not matter if it makes the film better it's in if it doesn't make the film better it's out yeah this is a super important lesson and what's interesting again, it goes to you know us looking at a film from the outside and going oh these are geniuses who knew what they were doing they're not yeah okay they they are certainly geniuses but it was a like they they had they went through many many cuts and they weren't weren't funny and they're trying to figure out why they're not funny. Yeah. And they even started to have screenings with people that they knew. And they started with the screening, welcome to our screening. Can you help us figure out why our movie's not funny? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then nobody laughed. Right? And they're like, oh, we're doomed. And then finally it went to a screening where they didn't say that. And, and it wasn't people that knew them or knew what they'd gone through. It wasn't right. filmmakers. And the movie was hilarious. Yeah. And they realized just, and this is something I see with young filmmakers all the time, is they'll start their film and they'll say, I'm really sorry, it's so terrible. Yeah. And it's like, you have to shut up.
2: You throw away your power yeah. right in that moment. You give them a reason to hate the film right yeah. off the bat.
0: You've yeah. already, t- now you can st- say, hey, I haven't, it's temporary music or something. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. But never tell us to, to think your movie's terrible. Right. Because then what are we going to think? Mm-hmm. We're going to think it's terrible. right? You know? Um
2: what about the three-headed knight? Do you guys have any things about the three-headed knight with the whole like? Oh, kind of set off. I don't know. Maybe not. The one whole, the of
3: tea? my
0: one of my least favorites. I actually.
3: Yeah? I don't. And you know why? Too is like it's it's the one moment in the in the in the it's the one moment in the piece. <laughs> it's the one moment in the piece. where... Graham Chapman's kind of trying to be funny, and he's not.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like I feel like well, no, no, it's Robin, isn't it? Eric Idle is the one who c- who comes up to them. Oh, do you mean in the middle? In the, in the oh, middle. Oh, yeah. sorry, in the middle of the night. And I right, just right, right, was right. like,
3: and, it, and it, I think too was also one of those moments where everybody is so hidden. In yeah. The, in the, like I think even when I was younger, I didn't understand that it were there were six of them, yeah. like that were just playing all the roles, and it was so apparent that it was Arthur right. there right. doing the thing. Right. I, I, I. That is that is probably one yeah. of the only
0: scenes I don't necessarily care for. I do love for. the Robin song. I love it yes. the, the best. It is hilarious. The best. But I don't like the the, the, the multi Well,
2: line. and when you watch the um, deleted scenes and the outtakes, uh, which is a special feature on the 40th anniversary of Blu-ray, I don't know if it's in the other versions, uh, Terry Jones talks about, and one of the cut parts of that film, of that scene rather, is they had a three headed french maiden tied to a tree which is the oh, wow. that they would go and have <laughs> sex with her and so he terry was like yeah i'm very glad we cut that bit <laughs> you know because it's kind of like a little too far right but so that lets you know that that probably wasn't one of their favorite things but they had to use everything they shot and terry said that we had to basically use almost every scene we shot because we only shot so much
0: right you to make it to 90 minutes yep. you know um, so, so this is one of the cases. I didn't actually watch the deleted scenes. I should okay. have. Does our does our rule stand up, which is that most deleted scenes, you are right to delete Yes,
2: them. absolutely, I when you so. watch these. Yeah, and the way Terry introduces that, them.
3: Because they feel like, they, the way you guys are talking about, it's a, it's a bunch of yeah, sketches. But yeah. They feel like sketches. Yeah. They feel like yeah. side pieces that don't belong as part of the story. Yeah, there's
2: more with Lancelot. There's more with Robin. There's more going on with Rabbit, I think. And, and you're just like, yeah. It's fine the way it is. Right. The, the extra stuff, it's fun to watch, and there are some giggles and laughs, but it, it would have thrown off the vibe of the piece, I think, a little bit too much.
0: One thing, and I feel a little bad about bringing this up, but I feel that we have to yeah. talk about it because it's part of the film, mm-hmm. is Graham Chapman and his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any of this, so please take this. I don't know. I,
2: I knew that he had cancer. He died of cancer. I didn't, or was it HIV? I f- forget what he died of, but I... Think I, it
3: was
0: HIV. Okay. I think it was HIV. Okay, so I don't know about the alcoholism. He was a Huge alcoholic. Raging. Okay. To the point where, you know, during during all of Python, and it got worse and worse as things mm-hmm. went along until he finally got sober. Yeah. But that, you know, when they were writing the show, that he was pretty much done by noon. Wow. You know, is that by noon, he was already tanked. And that was kind of it. Good Throughout God. the shooting of Holy Grail, he frequently couldn't remember his lines. When they and went, he has
3: some of the biggest speeches
0: yeah. in the... And that they would have to stop shooting because he was... He said in an interview yeah. that at his worst, he was drinking three to five pints of gin a day. Holy God. Yeah. I um, don't even know where you put all that. No, I, I, I can't. I yeah. mean, I had a go-
3: I've had had a goblet of this very high... <laughs> I feel bad that we're drinking now, yes. but like... But,
0: uh, it was
3: yeah got a little buzz. Three pints of gin? Yeah. Oh, And you know he wasn't mixing that with anything.
0: No. I I don't know. And and this is, by the way, one of the reasons that John Cleese left Mm -hmm. when he quit Python, you know, when he said we should stop the show, Mm. is because Graham was his writing partner. And he was like, I can't write with a drunk anymore. And he was the person who could kind of keep Graham, his job was to kind of keep Graham going. And it is funny, like, what each of these guys bring to the the show. and, And there is... There are certain things that that's an Eric Idle part yeah. and that's a Michael Palin yes. part. And there's Graham Chapman part. Yeah. And the thing that they say about him was in the making of Holy Grail that they went, oh, we have a leading man. Mm-hmm. They never knew because mm-hmm. they all played an ensemble throughout the show. And when you get to Holy Grail, you have a lead. And they're mm-hmm. like, yes, of course he's the lead. Right. John Cleese is the biggest star. Right. You know, he was the biggest star before they started. And, and I think it's still, you know mm-hmm. to this day, remains the biggest star. But actually can't be a leading... Man. He couldn't play King Arthur. No, not in that it movie. would
2: be a different King Arthur. Very. Yeah. It would be a much more sarcastic commenting on situations. Which may King not have
3: made the rest of the film work right. because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Which
2: is why Graham works so well as Life of Brian, as yep. Brian, because you just have a natural affinity. Some people just have that energy as actors, that you have a natural affinity to follow them and feel bad for them at the same time, even when they're messing up or making mistakes. Uh, we just did a, a, a recorded episode of the Top 10 Tom Hanks films, for the top ten show, and we talked about how Tom Hanks is your <clears throat> is kind of your pass to use him in sh- for certain roles that normally you would immediately not like this person. Like in mm, Road to Perdition, right. he's a hitman; he has a history of killing people. But if you cast Tom Hanks, he's automatically av- you can follow him. He's a protagonist that you can follow and forgive. The mistakes he's made yep. and so those kinds of things if you cast the right actor you can do that and with graham chapman he definitely has that ability he has one of those energies that you just follow
0: right you know and, and, yeah and, and part of it is he's not doing that much he's not what? doing the insanity that terry mm-hmm. jones is doing or that michael palin is doing um what's that what do you what would you say is the influence of python in Ooh, the world jeez um Here's a big one that I know. <laughs> Can we even? Yeah. Well, one of the big ones is both uh, National Lampoon oh, yeah. and the Saturday Night Live guys, yep. they all talk about going to see Monty Python. I'm sure SCTV guys do, too. Oh, yeah. Actually. yeah. Well, and if you look at Kids in the Hall, Kids in the Hall, is like, Absolutely. they use that structure of we're going to go out and do film, we're going to mm-hmm. do sketch, and we're going to just move... Because the way and, and uh, Mr. Show does the Mr. Same Show thing. is yeah. probably the one is, that I would put up there the yeah. highest. Yeah. Is that is that what you're doing? Is you're moving st- through a story thematically rather than in terms of plot, right? You know, and you certainly see it. I mean, I mean, Life O'Brien Brian has the is the most plot oriented, right? Uh, but like Mini of Life is just here's one idea that leads naturally yeah. to the other idea. Right. I uh, mean,
3: I think it's set the groundwork, and I, I texted you guys this originally mm-hmm. too. Set the groundwork for South Park. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it set the groundwork for somebody like Seth with Family Guy. Yeah. You know, I mean Family Guy is essentially, you know, the yeah. the flying circus. <laughs>
2: well, I think it's a great point uh, too because like before this group of guys, there was not really group comedy. There were comedy mm. duos, right? There was Abbott and Costello, there oh, was Laurel the well, and Hardy. The... Well, the Marx was only 3, really. I mean four, Zeppo or Gummo, they were not that funny, but it was always Chico no, Harpo man. and Right, they yeah. were the men, but you—they weren't as—they didn't contribute as much. Everyone contributed equally in Monty Python, and until Monty Python came along, it was really either comedy duos or maybe trios. If we include the Marx Brothers, there weren't that many group of funny people. Even the Bowery Boys from the forties were just the Bowery Boys. They weren't necessarily that kind of thing. And I think that's what you talk about here, Steve. When you ask that question, their influences, the creation and acceptance of society in all countries. Of group comedy, and I'm sure there are multiple countries that have created group comedy that have become famous because of the influence of Monty Python.
0: Oh, sure. This, you got the state. You got <laughs> right. You the you state got All these great. groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, one of the interesting things to me is, like Saturday Night Live, you roll through casts. Yeah. over and over yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Monty Python stops. Monty yep. Python is these guys.
2: Only three years. Yeah. Just like Star Trek. Only three years. It's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. And, then, and
0: then movies for another yeah. 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. Yep. And when Graham Chapman dies, they're, 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 we're done. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's why I go, it's, it's like the Beatles. You know, it's that mm-hmm. there's this energy that comes together with mm-hmm. these people. And in particular, because they write and create and yeah. star in and play like all the parts, yep. that this is their stuff. It's not mm-hmm. like you get, you know, Adam Sandler is doing a movie, right. and he's got a director, and he's got a writer, and he's got you know it's that this is this group, this is their art, right. and it, and they have I I can't there's I can't think of anybody that has a more u, u, both unique and broad vision mm-hmm. of what their comedy is. No, mm-hmm. so there, there's something that's like recognizably Monty Python, and they're doing everything from broad crazy slapstick to super right. intellectual stuff right. to totally absurdist stuff, and it's all like yep, that's Monty Python.
2: And there's there's no one person leading them, and that's what I think always undercuts SNL. Everything's through Lord Michael's, except for those two years when I think Ebersol was Ebersole, there. Yeah. Everything else, or one year, everything else is run through Lord Michaels. So it's through his processor. In Monty Python, they rebelled against any of the BBC executives that tried to control them or corral them. It was them self-editing themselves.
3: But now it's an antiquated system, right? Right. Yes. Now yes. we're in love with the process of. Oh, do you know? On Monday they pitch out the yeah. Who can't. No one cares. Right. Whatever that finished, pro- just like you were talking about before, yeah. cutting room floor, whatever that show is on Saturday night, who gives a shit about the process to get there? Right. We don't care. Make it funny. Yeah. So in order to do that, why do you have to keep this process yeah. that's been around for so many years mm-hmm. that doesn't work anymore because the cocaine isn't as good? Right.
0: <laughs> right. Is that Sorry. the problem? Yes. You can't yes. get good cocaine <laughs> Yes. And
3: <'Cause what, laughs> By the way, I have heard... A hundred percent, yes. Nailed um, <laughs>
0: it. Uh, I, I, I know I brought this up in previous podcasts, but the book uh, Creativity, Inc., which is the uh, oh, yes. yep. unbelievably great book. and Ed Catmull. Ed Catmull. Thank, thank you. you. Um, and uh, one of the things he talks about is that you have – it's not just that you come up with a great process. is that you have to continually correct, reject, and reform your process. Yeah. Because it's – and this, we see this in all forms, things in society. The thing that worked 10 years ago – it was great 10 years ago. That doesn't mean it's going to work exactly now. Right. Yeah. And, it, and and even a great process becomes stale when new people cut in. Like if you get the memo mm-hmm. that says, welcome to this company. Here is the great process. Right. That's not going to be exciting. Right. It's that you need to reinvent things. And and to invent, reinvent things, you have to reject things. Mm-hmm. So Python is a perfect example because you can see it literally in the story of right. them rejecting how films are made. Yeah. Rejecting the process. De- denying what they are supposed to be and going, we are going to be this. Right. And it and it exists, which is what I find so fascinating with guys who are continually in conflict. Right. Yep. You know, and that conflict, you know, it's funny, we talked about this when we talked about Muhammad Ali. Is that great athletes come out in moments where they have great competition. Right. You know, and I think this is definitely true of Bonnie Python. Is is any of them individually are brilliant people, but them competing with each other, challenging mm-hmm. each other Forcing each other to work harder and do better is what makes this comedy unbelievable. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, Mike, final thoughts.
2: Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, think awesome. the, I
3: think the reason I love them so much and why it's so heartbreaking that you hear like Monty Python's dead. They're, they're yeah, done. Yeah. They're gone. But you kind of understand why. Because if they did add a sixth member, seventh yeah. member that isn't Graham Chapman, it's over. It, They're
0: gonna bring in Andy Samberg, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah right.
3: Um, it, their humor and the way they do things just takes me back to when I was in the '80s. And you know, you've got Stranger Things and all these other oh, yeah, movies yeah. that are coming out now. These these shows that are coming out now. It just takes me back to a time where you used what you had, and you you used it to the best of your ability, yeah. and and did not stop until it was something that. You were proud enough to put in front of people, and yeah. I think that. And and then it also at the same same time, you didn't care what people thought about it either. You were just doing what you thought was funny and you thought was right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's rare. I think it's. I think it's. It. it I don't want to say it doesn't exist. I just can't think of an example right now yeah. where it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know if the times would allow for something like Monty Python to exist anymore. So yeah. I feel like we have this. It's almost like an art piece of Monty Python. This preserved uh, time in history. Uh, this perfect time in history for for the I think some of the best comedy in the world.
2: Yeah, I mean UCB, all these Second City improv, all these all these people that have become a cottage industry for comedy, comedy, owe a huge debt to Monty Python, obviously to SNL and what have you, but sure. legitimately to Monty Python for bringing this idea forward and being so successful at it. To me, this film, <clears throat> excuse me, encapsulates what I love about them the most: the combination of the silliness and the intelligence. No other, for me, no other group of comedians has ever come close to coming to this. And I love it so much because of that. I revere it so much because of that. I revisit the film so much because of that. Because it is so incredibly funny, yet incredibly silly. It is relatable to any decade, any age almost. as long as long If you're able to conceive of something, you're able to understand and enjoy Monty
0: Python. And then savor it as you get older. This film, especially for me. Yeah, you 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 very much stole exactly what I was oh, going to I'm say, sorry. which is uh, you should be, <laughs> which is that is that silly and smart are not mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. right? And that's something which is you know kind of radical. And that what it, to me what it is is it's that these high powered brains going out and going, look what we can do yeah. when we decide to be silly, mm-hmm. you know, look what we can say, what we can attack, and the ridiculousness, the over the topness, the insanity of their silliness, and. I'm going to go back to that Beatles metaphor, mm. is that the Beatles is the, one of the tightest pop bands of all time. Absolutely. And when they put an album out, every note's in the right place. Mm-hmm. And that when Monty Python is hitting on all cylinders, it's the same thing. There's not a wasted frame of film, not a wasted joke, mm. not a wasted line. Everything is 100% committed. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely worth your time. If you have not explored Monty Python...
3: Oh, really? Are you, Anybody... <laughs> if, if people are listening right now and they have not even... Uh, I can't. I can't. Go out and see the movie. Don't admit it, by the way. G- get it? Watch it at home, but pretend like you've seen it, because I, I don't want to
0: see you. And Mike, I recommend watching <laughs> Now that film. our guest
2: <laughs> is insulted a <laughs> half of our viewers.
3: <laughs>
0: Sorry. I might recommend watching the film with a bottle of Monty Python's hey! Holy Ale, yes, our sponsor. Absolutely. <laughs> um,
3: well, thanks for having me on, guys. This is awesome. Thank, thank you, you very much. Really, really awesome.
0: Um, uh, Mike, where can they reach you if they want to reach you on... Twitter, do you do the Twitter? I do, I, every so
3: often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Otter Puppet. And real, can we do a real quick? Yeah. Start? So I worked at SeaWorld in uh-huh. Ohio before Blackfish. This was when we were good to the animals. <laughs> um, I worked at SeaWorld. I worked at the Sea Lion and Otter Show. And Eric Idle was a special guest in the park. Oh. And so he got to do a meet and greet with the otters and with the sea lions. So we, you know, the stadium was closed. We brought him in and we did like scenes from holy grail but with the sea lions oh, and with the otters my like
2: gosh. you know
3: run away run away with the otters chasing <laughs> us i was just backstage like peeing myself i was so excited so yeah that's wow. otter puppet that's otter puppet on uh, on on twitter
0: Wow. Uh, John, where
2: can I reach you? Uh, yeah, you guys can always find me at the Roca says R-O-C-H-A. See all the shows I'm hosting, co-hosting, shows I get to be a guest on. Uh, and also, please uh, watch The Top Ten Show, which is uh, the on-camera uh, show that used to be a podcast that I host now with my uh, friend Matt Nost, stand-up comedian. We talk about the top ten films of whatever topic uh, has come out of a new release that week. So.
0: Uh, it's a great show, and you can reach Thank me you. on Twitter at sr morris. Uh, and as always, you can leave your comments. We want to hear what you think on Money about Holy Grail. What are your favorite scenes? What things do you quote with your friends? Uh, you can reach us on Facebook. That's at the, the Cinephile c-i-n-e And please, as always, we need your reviews on iTunes. It makes a huge difference to the show. We really want to get it out there, and the reviews uh, they really help. Unless you want to say horrible stuff about us, in which case. Just keep that to yourself. yourself. (laughs) Um, Run away. Run away. (laughs) Run away. (laughs) And on that note, we will see you next time on the Cinephiles.